The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr David Hanson. Number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Corporal Stephen Dunn from 216 Parachute Signal Squadron, who died on the 21st of December, to Warrant Officer Class 2 Charles Wood from 23 Pioneer Regiment Royal Logistic Corps, who died on the 28th of December, and to Private Joseva Vataboa from the Argyll and Sutherland Highlanders, 5th Battalion, the Royal Regiment of Scotland, who died on the 1st of January. These were courageous and selfless servicemen who have made the ultimate sacrifice in the fight to make our country a safer place. We send our deepest condolences to their families, to their friends and their colleagues. This morning I spoke to the Australian Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, to send the condolences of everyone in this House and everyone in this country for the appalling floods and damage that have been done in Queensland and to say that we were all thinking of her and the Australian people at this very difficult time. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr David Hanson. Could I endorse the condolences of the Prime Minister to the families of the troops and to the Australian people? Uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will recall his solemn election pledge not to raise VAT at the election. He will also recall, in the coalition document, his solemn pledge to take robust action on bankers' bonuses. Given that he's broken his first promise and is now reneging on his second, why should we trust anything he says again? The reason we have had to put up value-added tax is because of the complete and utter mess we were left by the government which he supported. I know they are now in denial about this, but the fact is we had one of the biggest budget deficits in the G8, one of the worst records on debt anywhere that you could mention. We had to take action. And the reason we can now discuss calmly taxes and bankers' bonuses, and we're not queuing up behind Greece and Ireland for a bailout, is because of the action this government took. Richard Graham. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will know of the good progress made in the regeneration of my constituency, Gloucester. The next phase is the regeneration of city centre assets currently owned by the RDA. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that, in line with our localism agenda, the best thing now is to transfer those assets as soon as possible to the City Council for the development, for the benefit of the city? And can I highlight how much support this has within Gloucester? We're going to pay tribute to my honourable friend and what he does to help drive the regeneration agenda in Gloucester. I think there are real opportunities now that the regional development agencies, which were unloved in so many parts of the country, now they are going and we're having stronger local enterprise partnerships. I think there's much more room for good local development, including in Gloucester. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Corporal Stephen Dunn from 216 Parachute Signal Squadron, Warrant Officer Class 2 Charles Wood from 23 Pioneer Regiment Royal Logistic Corps, and Private Joseva Vataboa from the Argyll and Sutherland Highlanders, 5th Battalion, the Royal Regiment of Scotland. We pay tribute to them for their heroism, their commitment and their dedication, and our hearts go out to their family and friends. I also join the Prime Minister in sending condolences to the Australian people for the floods that are affecting them. Mr Speaker, in opposition, the Prime Minister said, and I quote, where the taxpayer owns a large stake in a bank, we are saying that no employee should be paid a bonus of over £2,000. Can the Prime Minister update us on the progress in implementing this promise? (laughs) 
what, what, I, what I would say is this. It was, it was the last government that bailed out the banks and asked for nothing in return. That is what happened. The reason we have difficulties with Royal Bank of Scotland this year is because of the completely inadequate contract that was negotiated by the government that he supported. But what we all want to see is the banks paying more in tax, and we will see that. We want to see the banks doing more lending, and we will see that. And we want to see bonuses cut, and we will see that. Perhaps you'd now make a constructive suggestion. Mr Speaker, let me say, the country is getting fed up with the Prime Minister's pathetic excuses on the banks. He made a clear, he made a clear promise. No bank bonus over £2,000. It's still on the Conservative website. It's a promise broken. Now, he can't answer the question on bankers' bonuses. Let's try him on the bankers' tax. Can he explain to the British people why does he think it is fair and reasonable at a time when he is raising taxes on everyone else to be cutting taxes this year on the banks? Well, we're not, is the simple answer. I know, I know the shadow chancellor can't really do the numbers, so uh, there's, oh, there's, uh, there's no point Wallace asking Gromit about that one. But um, let me give him the figures. Last year, the banks paid £18 billion in tax. This year, they're going to be paying £20 billion in tax. Their taxes are going up. In Miliband. He just needs to look at page 91 of the Office of Budget Responsibility book, published in November. Labour's payroll tax on the banks raised £3.5 billion in addition to the corporation tax that they pay. His banking levy is raising just £1.2 billion. In anyone's language, that is a tax cut for the banks. Why doesn't the Prime Minister just admit it? I've given him the numbers that the taxes are going up, 18 billion to 20 billion. Now let me explain. Now let me explain the numbers in terms of his bank bonus tax and our bank levy, because obviously he can't get the numbers from the man sitting next to him. So let me give him the numbers. The the bank bonus tax raised net £2.3 billion, and the author of that tax, who's sitting over there, the former Chancellor, says you cannot go on introducing this tax year after year. Very sensible manuscript. The bank levy will raise £2.5 billion each year once it's fully up and running. Yes, yes, £2.5 billion is, even the Shadow Chancellor can tell him, £2.5 billion is more than £2.3 billion. With the magic of uh, addition, if you have a bank levy every year, which we supported and he opposed, they said don't do it, remember that, we will raise nine billion in compared with his two point three billion. Even the Shadow Chancellor can work out that nine is bigger than two point three. Mr Speaker, I think that is as close as we get to an admission from the Prime Minister that he is that he is cutting taxes on the banks this year. The OBR is very clear. Labour's bank bonus tax raised £3.5 billion. He will be raising £1.2 billion in the banker's levy. Now, he can't answer on bonuses. He can't answer on taxes. Now let's talk about transparency. And on this, I think he should listen to the business secretary. We know the business secretary is not a man to mess with because he told his surgery before Christmas that he had a nuclear weapon. 
in his pocket, and he wasn't afraid to use it. So, so we, so we should listen to him. And he said, and he said, if you keep people in the dark, you grow poisonous fungus. Now, on this occasion, he wasn't talking about the Chancellor of the Exchequer. He was talking about the bankers. Why doesn't the Prime Minister listen to his business secretary and implement our proposal for the disclosure of all bonuses over a million pounds? It's on the statute book. It's ready to go. Why doesn't he just get on with it? I think that was was such a long question that I think the Honourable Gentleman... I think it's the Honourable Gentleman who should be thinking about the television career and he get his brother to run the Labour Party. I think that's uh, probably a, a, better, a better way round. Um, you don't have to be so sure. Look, we want greater transparency, but let me put it this to him. He had 13 years to put these rules in place. Why did he never get round to it? You know he's got no answer when he starts asking me the questions. Why doesn't he answer the question on transparency? Now, let me tell the Prime Minister, he is now in the absurd he is now in the absurd position of being more of a defender of the banks than even the banks themselves. Because Stephen Hester, the Chief Executive of the Royal Bank of Scotland, went to the Select Committee before Christmas and he said if the Walker report, which is a report that the Labour government commissioned, which made this recommendation, were to be implemented for the whole industry, I'm not arguing against it. I have no great problem with the issue of transparency and would have no difficulty. Mr Speaker, on the banks, the Prime Minister has had eight months to hold them to account. He's had, he's had, eight, he's had, he's had eight months to hold them to account. When is he going to start? I take a lecture from a lot of people on how to regulate banks. I won't take one from the people opposite who let them get away with absolute murder. Who who was it who set up the bank regulation that completely failed? Who bailed out the banks and got nothing in return? Who agreed a Royal Bank of Scotland contract with nothing in it about bonuses this year? Who? And by the way, the right hon. Gentleman was at the Treasury all the way through this. He was there when they knighted Fred Goodwin. Yes, wait for it. They knighted him for services to banking. And they sent him away with a £17 million payoff. And that is why no one will ever trust Labour on banking or on the economy again. And what was he saying when all that was going on? He was saying, deregulate the banks more. Even put the Vulcan in charge of his policy on the banks. Planet Redwood and Planet Cameron. And that is the truth, Mr. Speaker. There we have it. Life in 2011 on Planet Cameron. One rule for the banks, another for everybody else. And is it any wonder that now we know what his ministers say in private? His health minister says in the privacy of his surgery, I don't want you to trust David Cameron. He has values that I don't share. The health minister knows he's out of touch. The house knows he's out of touch. And now, because of his failure on the banks, the whole country knows he's out of touch. I, th- I think he knows this just isn't working. Yeah. We- we've, ended up- we've ended up with a shadow chancellor who can't count and a Labour leader who doesn't count. <laughs> I mean... He was in the Treasury. What, what did he do? What did he do when they set up the regulatory system that failed? He did nothing. What did they, he do when they paid out 11 billion in bonuses to bankers? He did nothing. 
What did he do when they said they'd abolished boom and bust? He did nothing. He is the nothing man when he's at the Treasury and the nothing man now he's trying to run the Labour Party. Dr Sarah Wollaston. Thank you. Um, Brixton Coast Guard, which is in my constituency, um, has been involved in the last year in over helping over 2,000 people. It's earmarked for closure. Would the Prime Minister agree to meet with a delegation from Brixham Coast Guard to hear about the importance of their local knowledge and skills and also to hear how we can avoid a fiasco similar to that which we saw with the regionalisation of fire services? Uh, I'm grateful for the Honourable Lady's question. I look very carefully at the time of this announcement of exactly what's being proposed in terms of the Coast Guard, and there are proposals to try and put more on the front line by sharing uh, back office services and the way that we coordinate the Coast Guard. I know there are very strong local feelings. I will arrange for her to meet uh, with the uh, Transport Secretary to discuss this, because what is essential is we have really good Coast Guard coverage for all of our country. Tom Greatrix. Prime Minister has just confirmed to everybody listening that he's not taking any action on bankers' bonuses. Yet, at the very same time, his government is removing the mobility element of disability living allowance for thousands of people living in residential care. Is that the influence of the Liberal Democrats or the unfinished business of the son of Thatcher? First of all, I actually said no such things. He obviously wasn't listening to the interesting exchanges that we were having. We want to have, with the banks, let's be clear, we want a settlement where their taxes go up, their lending goes up, and their bonuses come down. Instead of posturing and posing about it, we're actually doing something about it. In terms of disability, in terms of disability living allowance, because this is an important issue, the intention here is very clear that there should be a similar approach for people who are in hospital and for people who are in residential care homes. That is what we intend to do, and that is what I'll make sure happens. Stephen Metcalf. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Uh, please may I ask the Prime Minister to en- encourage local councils to look favourably and flexibly upon community groups who wish to have roads closed to hold street parties to celebrate the forthcoming royal wedding. I will certainly do that. I know that um, outside some of the large trade unions that uh, fund the party opposite, everyone else wants to have a real celebration for the Olympics, for the Diamond Jubilee, for the royal wedding. And yes, I think we should certainly make it easier for people to close streets and have street parties. Alex Cunningham. Thank you, Mr. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I would also like to associate myself with the tributes paid to our soldiers who recently died in the service of our country, including our own Teesside man, Warrant Officer Charlie Wood, a fine soldier and proud Borough football supporter. My thoughts and prayers are with his and all the families. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's Business Secretary compromised himself over the B-Sky B takeover bid. His Culture Secretary is a declared admirer of the Murdoch Empire. Will the Prime Minister now do the right thing and order the Culture Secretary to refer the takeover bid to the Competition Commission? Well, first of all, I think the Honourable Gentleman is entirely right to pay tribute to the soldier from Teesside, and he spoke about him very movingly. On the issue of the responsibility for media mergers, there is a proper process that needs to be followed. Uh, Ministers have a quasi-judicial role in doing that, and I'm confident the arrangements we put in place will make sure that happens. Bernard Jenkin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As Chairman of the All-Party Homeland Security Group, may I commend the Prime Minister and the Government for having a very proper internal discussion about the future of control orders. Given that President Obama himself has been unable to deliver his pledge to close Guantanamo Bay, wouldn't it be ludicrous 
to suggest that there's some kind of, some kind of simple answer to this problem, and, can, and we look forward to seeing his proposals. Well, can I thank my honourable friend for, for what he says? There are no simple answers to this. We do face a, a, an enormously dangerous terrorist threat, and it is a threat that the British judicial system has struggled to meet. What we're trying to do, and I think all parties, fun enough, including the party opposite, actually have the same goal here. And the reason why we've all talked about reviewing control orders is we want to make sure the answer we come up with is good for liberty and good for security. I can see the Shadow Home Secretary nodding, and I hope we can reach all party agreement on this important. Issue. Nick Deakin. Oh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister think it is fair or reasonable that a 16-year-old in the first year of their training or course should have their EMA support withdrawn for the second year? Isn't this a case of breaking our promises to those young people and letting them down? Yeah. The point about EMA is that we will be replacing it, and we want to look carefully about how best to replace it. But there are two very important facts I think we have to bear in mind. The first is that researchers found that 90% of recipients of EMA will be staying on at school in any event. And secondly, with again, with all party support, we're raising the participation age in education to 18. So for those two reasons, I think it's right to look for a replacement that is more tailored and more targeted and will help to make sure that those children who really need it get that extra money to stay on at school. Caroline Dynage. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, I know that the Prime Minister understands there is a huge amount of support for the Arctic convoy veterans of World War II to receive a medal, but does he also appreciate that in order for the remaining representatives of this incredibly brave group of men to receive this recognition in their lifetime, that the time to act is now? I do. I have considerable sympathy with what the Honourable Lady says, and I have put a number of questions to the Ministry of Defence and will go on doing that. It does seem to me, of course you have to have you have to have uh, yes, but we we govern by consent. Um, we do have to have proper rules here, but it seems to me the important fact is people on the Atlantic convoys served under incredibly harsh conditions and weren't actually allowed to serve for very long periods of time. And so there is a case for saying that they have missed out. Many of them are coming uh, to the end of their lives, and it would be good if we could do something more to recognise what they've done. Angus Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Which does the Prime Minister consider to be a worse political betrayal, a Liberal Democrat Deputy Prime Minister who promised not to introduce tuition fees and then did, or a Conservative Prime Minister who promised to, inter- uh, to introduce a fuel duty stabiliser and didn't? I think you can top all those with an SNP that said they were going to have a referendum on independence and never did. Professor of mine once said, Fritz. Stephen Mosley. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Cheshire Western Chester, my local Conservative run council, has announced a council tax freeze whilst protecting essential public services. Now, there are many in the country, and indeed some in this chamber, who deny that that is possible. What message would the Prime Minister send to those who deny that it is possible for government to deliver more for less? I absolutely commend what my honourable friend says. The fact is, of course, we are making reductions in local government grant, although when you look at the figures, what local government will get in 2013 is actually equivalent to what they got in 2007, so I think we should keep these reductions in perspective. But I would urge every local council to look at what it can do by sharing services, by sharing chief executives, by trying to reduce back office costs, and by taking the extra money that's there for a council freeze so they can deliver more for less. Ian Lucas. 
With the government cutting 20,000 frontline police officers, will the Prime Minister give me a commitment that recorded crime will not rise on his watch? Well, I want to see crime come down because I want to see us get the police out on the beat. And the fact is, only 11% of police officers at any one time are out on the beat. I have the figures for the North Wales Police. And yes, of course, there are some spending reductions that are being made. I'm answering his question. But actually, when it comes to the funding in 2011-12, it is going to be the same as the funding they had in 2007-08. So it is perfectly possible to have effective crime fighting to get police out on the streets in North Wales. Anne McIntosh. Given the rural nature of North Yorkshire and the impact of the record fuel prices at both the pumps and for household fuel, will the Prime Minister look again at the Chancellor's undertaking in June to introduce a fuel stabiliser and more especially a rebate for remote rural areas such as North Yorkshire? Well, we have on the second point that she makes, we have looked at uh, a rebate for rural areas, and some progress was made in the budget on that issue. On the fair fuel stabiliser, yes, the Treasury are looking at this because clearly there is a case for saying that as the oil price rises, if it can be shown the Treasury benefits from extra revenue, there should be a way of sharing that with the motorist who's suffering from high prices. And while we hear all the chuntering in the world from uh, party, the party opposite, the fact is the last four. Fuel duty increases were all increased in their budget. Paul Flynn. Uh, the proposed closure of the Newport Passport Office <coughs> will have a devastating effect on yeah, the yeah. 250 families involved and a crippling effect on the economy of Newport. Can you give me an assurance that no final decision will be taken until the economic impact assessment is published and considered? I know how important the passport office has been to Newport and how many jobs it has provided. Obviously, we want to see uh, diverse economies right across our country, and that is what the Regional Growth Fund is there to help achieve uh, in terms of areas that are threatened with public sector job reductions. But I'll certainly look at the case, the specific question uh, he asks, and I'll make sure he gets an answer. Nick Dubois. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, The Prime Minister will recall his visit to my constituency hospital, Chase Farm, uh, as part of supporting the campaign to prevent the then forced closure of A&E and consultant-led maternity services. Does he agree with me uh, that we should keep to our policy of no forced closures, particularly given, particularly given, uh, as, uh, the, particularly given uh, the, the fact that um, our local GPs, our Enfield GPs, are opposed to it, as are indeed the residents of the BEH strategy? My honourable friend makes a very good point, and let me say this. Any local changes to the NHS have got to meet four tests. They've got to have the support of local GPs, they've got to have strong public and patient engagement, they've got to be backed by sound clinical evidence, and they've got to provide support for patient choice. There were no tests like that under the last government that had these top-down reconstructions. There are now tests, and they'll be adhered to by this government. Jenny Chapman. Business Secretary wants to move jobs from Darlington from his department down to Whitehall. What's the Prime Minister going to do to stop it? We agree with the programme that was started not by the last government but actually by several previous governments of trying to diversify and spread jobs out of Whitehall and into the regions. And we should continue with that. Brandon Lewis. Order, the House must come to order. I want to hear Brandon Lewis. 
Great Yarmouth has been approved as one of the Pathfinder schemes for the GP practitioners. The local health teams are excited by the prospects that offers. What support can the government give to ensure that we deliver successfully on this project? I'm delighted that his constituency is taking part in this Pathfinder project. Those people who say that somehow NHS reform is being introduced in one big start are completely wrong. Twenty-five percent of GPs are going forward to make this work. There's huge enthusiasm amongst GPs to get this uh, moving, and, and I think it will show real benefits in terms of patient choice. And what I would say to everyone in this house: the idea that there is somehow a choice of a simple life where you just don't reform the NHS, when you have rising drug bills, rising treatment bills, and frankly a record in this country where we are not ahead in Europe on cancer outcomes and on stroke outcomes and heart outcomes, is not a sensible option. It is right to make this modernisation, and it will be this coalition driving it forward and the party opposite that is just digging in and defending an unacceptable status quo. Thank you. The Prime Minister, the Prime Minister will, will be well aware of the changes, proposed changes to the RC Rescue and Coast Guard, and in particular the, the uh, proposed closure of the Coast Guard station in Bangor in Northern Ireland and the, the exchange of responsibilities to Scotland. Will the Prime Minister assure the House today that the future of the Coast Guard station in Bangor will be retained, that the responsibility for RC Rescue will be retained in Northern Ireland, and that the people of Northern Ireland and those who use the seas around Northern Ireland will be safe and secure? Thank you. I have been lobbied extensively about air sea rescue, um, including by, by uh, people from all walks of life, if I can put it that way. And I totally understand uh, the need for good air sea rescue. I think what matters is not necessarily who is carrying it out, but are they fully qualified? Is it a good service? And is it value for money? That is what we've got to make sure happens, as in other areas. Oliver Colville. Reviewing anti-terrorist laws, will my right honourable friend ensure that there is a balance between the police having the powers of detention and arrest uh, and also making sure that there is a return to the rule of law as it is understood? I think my honourable friend is absolutely right that we should not depart from normal procedures and practices in terms of British law and justice unless it's absolutely necessary. You have to defend every change uh, in that way. And I think, as I said earlier, we do face a terrorist threat that is materially different to what we face from the IRA. We face a threat uh, where people are quite prepared to murder themselves and as many as they can uh, at any occasion. So we are... It is difficult to meet this using all the existing methods. That's why control orders were put in place, and that's why their replacement must make sure that it is both good for our liberty but also good for our security. I'm absolutely convinced that we will do this, and we will do it in a way that has the support of the police and the security services and those who I would pay tribute today from this dispatch box for all their work, including over the Christmas period, for keeping us safe. Jim Sheridan. Mr Speaker, this House recognises the valuable work that the armed forces do in promoting and protecting democracy in some of the most dangerous parts of the world. And yet these same armed forces see their Prime Minister in their own country sacrificing democracy to a foreign-based uh, media mogul, hear no evil, see no evil. Could, ex- could the Prime Minister explain why? Um, I'm afraid I uh, didn't quite get the gist of that uh, <laughs> question, so I'll have to... Um... <laughs> the point I would make is that... Media regulation is properly carried out in this country and by this government and that will be done in a way that is fair and transparent. That is what, will, that is what needs to happen. That is what will happen. Richard Ottaway. The, 
The right to strike is an important one and the hallmark of a free society. But with rights come responsibilities. Will he agree that any union ballot that leads to industrial action will have the majority support of those entitled to vote? Well, I know, I know there is a, a strong case being made, not least by my uh, colleague, the Mayor of London, for this sort of change. I'm very happy to look at the arguments for it because I want to make sure that we have a fair body of union law in this country. I think the laws put in place in the 1980s are working well. We don't currently have proposals to amend them, but I'm very happy to look at this argument because I don't want to see a wave of irresponsible strikes, not least when they're not supported by a majority of people taking part. Lindsay Roy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Nye Bevan, a man of great vision and remarkable foresight, once said this Prime Minister has an absolute genius in translating flamboyant language or flamboyant labels into empty luggage. <laughs> this is so-called bonfire of the quangos, one such example, because it's turned out to be a damp squib. I don't accept that for a moment. The, the bonfire of the Quangos is going to make sure we rationalise all of the non-governmental bodies there are, and it will save billions of pounds in the process. It has, I think, been carried out in a very sensible process of making, asking the question what should be part of government and properly accountable to this House, and what doesn't need to be done and therefore can be taken away. And as I say, it will save billions of pounds and a very good thing too. Henry Smith. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join with me in congratulating the Crawley Hospital League of Friends on helping to secure a new mammogram machine for that hospital? Can the Prime Minister explain what other ways we can develop better cancer services in this country? I'm grateful for my honourable friend's question. and I know that actually members right across this House support the League of Friends in their constituencies to raise money for their hospitals, to do extraordinary things in terms of equipment and better services. And it's a good moment to pay tribute to all those who take part. Today we are making an announcement about a new cancer plan that aims to save another 5,000 lives every year by the end of this Parliament. This is all about the early diagnosis that we need in the NHS. But I have to say to the honourable gentleman, we wouldn't be able to do this if we hadn't, as a coalition government, made the right decision to protect NHS spending, a decision completely opposed by the party opposite. Order. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.